Thank you for listening to this message from Tree of Life Church. Our prayer is that it will be a blessing to you and that you will find it helpful for life. So open up your heart to receive God's word for you. Well, like I said, I'm not our senior pastor. My name's Rob Bellamy. I'm the men's ministry pastor. I'm also over the First Impressions team. Uh, I'm over new construction. And I think I'm over the air fresheners in the bathroom, I think. I'm not positive. I, I think that's the one other thing that I have oversight on. <laughs> and, and I want to share just a, just a little bit of my story, if I can, because this message today is, is very personal to me. It's very real to me. Um, we're going to be preaching and teaching straight out of Matthew 5, 13 and through 16 for the next few weeks. Uh, and it's about being salt and light. We saw that video. And I am here today because of an individual at a place that I worked on a loading dock decided that he was light. He wasn't a forklift operator working on a loading dock. He was light and he was salt. And because of him, I'm standing on this stage today. That's kind of a big deal. And before I got saved, I got saved at the age of 19. Uh, it, was, it was in October, I got saved. In March, I turned 20. Uh, in June, I had a baby. <laughs> it was, whoo, actually my wife had the baby. <laughs> Let me straighten that out. But the few years prior were, to that salvation experience were very, very difficult ones. Uh, I, I said in first service, and I'll, I'll say it here, um, by the time I was 16, not quite 17 yet, I found myself homeless um, just due to life, man. Life happened and, and, and some of my own poor decisions as well. I mean, I'll own what's mine, that's for sure. So I know what it is to open the lid of a dumpster to find a meal. Uh, the even harder part though is, is that I also know what it means to know that I have $3 in my pocket and instead of choosing to go get a sandwich, I would choose to go get a tall boy and get a sandwich out of a dumpster. That's my past. That's who I was until somebody decided to be light in my life. And really this Catalyst series that we're, that we're teaching on, uh, Catalyst is about an agent of change. And that that's what we're called to. But it's also really about identity. It's an identity message as well. Uh, and let me explain that. So, so I get saved. And for the next five years, um, I worked as a mechanic for most of that. Uh, for about seven years, I turned wrenches, uh, got saved. We were living in Austin. Uh, I worked on that loading dock for just a few more short weeks after that. Um, then I went to work for a computer manufacturing plant. I have no idea what they thought they were doing hiring a dude that his favorite tool was a hammer, but hey, they did. Um, and then we moved to West Texas. I go to work as a mechanic and I just felt divided. I mean, I don't know any other way to say it. I would get up and go to work and I knew what Jesus had done for me and, and I felt this thing inside me. And now I know that that's the call. But, but I didn't know what to do with that. And somebody said, well, you're called. I'm like, oh, okay, well, as long as it's not late for supper, I guess I'm good with that. And 
so I would go to work and I'm like, man, I don't feel called. I'm sitting here and I'm banging my knuckles underneath the hood of these old cars trying to make them run. And I'm going home sweaty, nasty, covered in grease. I don't feel very called. I feel like a sweaty, broken knuckled mechanic. And so I don't understand what to do with this. And then somebody stepped into my life. There was a man of God at the church that we were at. Uh, if he's watching, thank you, Mike Banus. And he began to mentor me and model things for me that I had never seen. And I got to talking to him about, about how I felt. And he actually used this passage of scripture. And he said, can I tell you that what part of your problem is, is that you see yourself as a mechanic and you're not. That may be how you're making a buck, but you're not a mechanic. You're a minister of the gospel. And God has placed you in this environment at this used car lot in West Texas with all these broken, busted people coming in that need their car worked on, but they need their soul worked on. And you get to be there. And it really did. For the most part, I was able to stay focused on that. And then no matter what season of life I went into, uh, whether it was construction or you name it, air conditioning, I've done a little bit of everything. Um, I was able to focus on the fact that, you know what, I'm making, a, I'm making a dollar this way, but I'm a minister of the gospel. I am salt and light. And so then it didn't really matter what I was doing because it was just an opportunity to let somebody know about my savior. And so that's what this message is gonna be about today because I don't know that we always are able to wrap our mind around that. And I want you to be able to. It's important to know who you are and how valuable you are and exactly what it is that you're called to. So this, this is straight out of Matthew 5. Uh, Matthew 5 is the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. I always like to know the why. I'm that guy that says, well, why? You can ask everybody that works here for in a meeting. I always ask why, and it's not because I want to be stubborn. I really want to know why. It helps me be passionate about it. Uh, this is the Sermon on the Mount. It's Matthew 5, 6, and 7, most, most famous sermon in the Bible. In it, Jesus covers everything from A to Z. He talks about the letter of the law versus the spirit of the law, the heart behind the law, why it was put in place. He talks about uh, our need for a God. That's where, have you ever heard of the Beatitudes? Blessed are the, those are the Beatitudes. That's where this is at. Um, he talks about prayer. He talks about fasting. He talks about giving, you name it. It's in there. It's roughly 111 verses. Uh, we won't read all those today. It's about 2,000 words. And that's where our message is going to come from. But first, I want to I help address who it is that he's speaking to. Because so many times in our life, I think we let the enemy disqualify us from stuff. And he doesn't really have to push real hard in all honesty. Uh, We'll read something in the word or hear a message and we're like, man, I believe that for, for Chad or for Pastor Josh or for Bill. I believe that for them. I know God wants them healed. I know he wants them prosperous. And then the enemy will come and he'll, yeah, but remember what you did two weeks ago? You remember, man, when you were eight years old, you stole a piece of bubble gum and you never went back and paid for it. And so then we begin to think that it's for everybody else, but possibly not for us. Now, let me help you with that really quick. Second Corinthians 
says that every single one of God's promises are yes and amen in Christ Jesus. And 2 Peter 1, 3 through 4 says that because of God's grace and good, I mean, because of his glory and his goodness, he's given us great and precious promises that we may participate in the divine nature. Those precious promises are his word. So, so let's just settle this really quick. If it's in his word and you're his, it's yours. Now, that's, that's good news. But here's what goes with that. Normally what you see when you see a promise, you also see a qualifier. May I put it that way? It says, lay hands on the sick and pray, and they will recover. You see it? You got to go lay hands on them and pray for them. Uh, I'm just going to go there. How about finances? The Bible tells us in Philippians that, that God supplies all of our needs according to his riches and glory. Back up a few verses. Same chapter. What we see is, is that the people were participating in kingdom finances. They were giving. And so because they were giving, the apostle Paul said, now I'm telling you what, God's going to bless your socks off and meet your needs according to his riches and glory. There was a qualifier. How about in a marriage? If things are bumpy at home, husbands, are you loving your wives like Christ loves the church? See, there's a qualifier. So that's what we're going to look at today. We're actually going to look at a little bit of a qualifier, but that has some promises that are attached to it. Uh, in Matthew 5, 1 through 2, we know that it's for us because it says uh, in Matthew 5, 1 through 2, now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. And his disciples came to him and he began to teach them. So this whole passage of scripture opens up with, hey, here's who Jesus is talking to. He's talking to his disciples. He's talking to those that had chosen to believe him, follow him, and apply what he was teaching into their life. That's the definition of a disciple. Sometimes I think we may get that a little backwards and we think that just because I just used Texas speak, didn't I? <laughs> I said backwards. Um, <laughs> so, sometimes we think that just because we got saved, now we're a disciple. But we're going to see that that's not exactly what the word says. Um, now, a disciple, I put the Greek word in there for you. The reason I did that is that the, the New Testament was written in Greek. Uh, it's in our notes. Hopefully it'll pop up on the screen any minute now. Um, the Greek word for disciple is this word, methetis. The Greek word, methetis. Now, here's why that's important. Our translation is very solid, but our language is a little on the soft side. I will turn and I'll look at my wife and I say, man, baby, I love you. And I do, I love that woman. But then I'll also turn right around and say, man, I love ice cream. I love my dog. How can those mean the same thing? They can't, or how about, I love you, Lord. Man, I love Whataburger. I, it's what we do. And so here's unfortunately what happens. When I do that, I actually kind of water down the meaning of the word love when it comes to, to my savior or to my wife. I've, I've softened it because I've also said it's how I feel about French fries. And so sometimes it's good to go back to that original word and, and that original word for disciple is properly a learner, a disciple, a follower of Christ who learns the doctrines of scripture and the lifestyle they require. Get that, so they learn the scripture, the doctrines of it, and it's a lifestyle. Someone catechized, that's just a 
big fancy term that means taught, with proper instruction from the Bible, with its necessary follow-through and life applications. So see, it's somebody. It's more than just a student. Here's why I say that. I was a student in high school. And can I tell you that I did not pay attention to geometry at all. They taught it. I just went, get me out up here. I don't care what hypotenuse leg is. I don't care who Pythagoras was. I will never, ever use this again in my life. Has anybody ever said that? Yes. yes. It's funny. You were vocal, but you weren't about to raise a hand. That's school. Not happening. Um, so I was a student, but I wasn't a disciple. Now, God has a sense of humor, so fast forward several years, I end up in construction (laughs) where I'm having to measure shapes and sizes and figure out angles of triangles. And if this one's this long, then how long is the hypotenuse leg? (laughs) Then I became a disciple of geometry. Does that make sense? I then applied it to my life And it was what I lived and did every day. It decided my decisions for me, if that makes sense. I had to have it. That's the difference between a student and a disciple. And a disciple is what we want to be, but I dare say that oftentimes it's not always what we are. I mean, can I just be real? I did it for years. I won't lie. I did it for years. But let's take a look at John 8, 31 through 32. It says, to the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said... If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples, then you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. To the Jews who had believed, if you hold to my teaching, so they believed, but they had to hold to the teaching to be a disciple, and it's in our best interest to do that because look at what it says happens then. Then you know the truth and it will have impact in your life and it will set you free. If you need help in your marriage and you're a husband and you're not loving your wife like Christ loves the church, you have to apply that truth to get the freedom that comes from applying it. And it's that way with all the promises. That's why we want to be a disciple. But we're also going to see that the number one thing for a disciple, the key thing that a disciple does is they make more disciples. Matthew 28, 19, Jesus is about to ascend into heaven. He says, go make disciples. So disciples make disciples, and we have to start there because that is the crux of this entire sermon series. Disciples make disciples, and you can choose to be a disciple. Now, let's jump into our text. That was a lot of buildup. It's coming now. Matthew 5, 13 through 16. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. When you're salt and when you light, they see, who's they? Those that don't know the Lord. They see your good deeds and then they glorify your God in heaven. That word glorify means to value him for who he really is. That's the Greek, that's the definition of the Greek word for that. When they see our good deeds, 
then they finally get it and they finally see who he really is. Can I say that the only reason that I didn't gave sooner, get saved sooner was because I didn't know who he was. I knew who I thought he was. And who I thought he was would have had nothing to do with anybody like me. But when I saw the truth, <laughs> then I went, my gosh, I glorify you. I, I valued him for who he really was, a good, good father. Mm. Now, I want to focus on just, just verse 13, so you're pretty good. Just 13 out of all of that. Um, the first thing we want to take a look at, and this is where identity comes into play. This is why it's so important to be a disciple in your comings and goings in life. Um, number one, because salt was extremely valuable and used daily for life. Salt was extremely valuable and used daily for life. And they knew that. For us, it's not that way. I mean, we just walk into the house and there's probably two or three salt shakers in your house. Every restaurant you go in has one on a table. I mean, it's just a very common thing. And it's really not that expensive. But back then, it was so much more. It was valuable. It was almost priceless. Um, if you were a Roman soldier, part of your wages were called salt wages. So part of your paycheck, if you will, was often paid in allotments of salt because it was so crucial for life. And salt would be used to barter and trade, to buy and sell with. As a matter of fact, uh, in the Roman lifestyle, they called it salt wages. If you track down the word salary and you follow it back far enough, our common word salary comes from the Roman use of salt wages. Very valuable. How many of y'all are happy you have a salary? And if you were a Jew, you grew up in the temple life. That, the simple fact that you were a Jew said, hey, you're one of God's chosen, so you got to live your life in the temple. And that was powerful. There was no, if you were a Jew and you didn't go to the temple, something was wrong with your medulla oblongata. It was not good. And salt, which you would see in temple life, uh, it was used in everything. There was even an incense that burnt before the Holy of Holies, the Ark of the Covenant, Indiana Jones, box with the wings and the angels. There was incense that burned in front of it. If the incense wasn't burning, the priest couldn't go in there. And one of the primary ingredients of that incense was salt. Without salt, they couldn't even go into the presence of God. And then salt was also used in their sacrifices. We're gonna see that here in just a second. So, let's look at the uses of salt to understand how valuable it is and what it is a big deal it is for God to say, you're salt. Uh, number one, salt purifies. Salt purifies. That's what it was used for primarily in that day. Uh, Leviticus 2.13. Season all your grain offerings with salt. Do not leave the salt of the covenant of your God out of your grain offerings. Add salt to all your offerings. Okay, well, Rob, that was just their grain offerings. All right, well, let's look at Ezekiel 43, 23 through 24. When you finish purifying it, you are to offer a young bull and a ram from the flock, both without defect. You are to offer them before the Lord and the priests are to sprinkle salt on them and sacrifice them as a burnt offering unto the Lord. You couldn't make an offering if you didn't have salt. 
And that's why it was called the salt of the covenant of God. The salt was the, was the proof that God had accepted the offering. So he would, the salt would be sprinkled on it and it verified the covenant. It made it real to the people. Man, God has accepted this offering, so I am accepted. And that is a powerful and needed thing. And they did it every single time they made an offering. So these, these folks understood when Jesus looked at them, they were like, man, we are valuable. And then look at 2 Kings 19 through 22. The people of the city said to Elisha, look, our Lord, this town is well situated as you can see, but the water's bad and the land is unproductive. So Elisha said, hey, bring me a new bowl and put salt in it. They brought it to him. He goes out, throws into the spring the salt, And he says, this is what the Lord says. I have healed this water and never again will it cause death or make the land unproductive. And the water has remained pure, see it, purified to this day according to the word Elisha had spoken. And all these Jews knew that account. They knew that God had used salt through the prophet Elisha to save this town and make it pure. And they knew it. Now fast forward a couple of years to when Jesus goes to the cross, the perfect sacrifice, the lamb of God, he goes to the cross. They know that he's an offering being poured out, but there was an ingredient missing. Or was there salt? And here's his disciples. They're the salt. And all of a sudden it became real to them. They understood that they were now the bearers of God's covenant to humanity to purify the world. That's how important and valuable you are. Mm. Number two, salt is a preservative. Salt is a preservative. They didn't have refrigeration back then. Man, say thank you Jesus for the 20th century. They couldn't just stick a brisket in the fridge and keep it from going bad, so they would have to pack their meat in salt. They would salt cure it. Salt's still used as a preservative today, but for them to carry meat for any distance, for any time at all, they had to use salt to keep it from going bad. Now, just that in and of itself, think about that. Salt was used to keep flesh from spoiling. God uses us, his Christians, on this earth to keep flesh from spoiling. Now, as a preservative, let's look at 2 Thessalonians 2, 7. I'll explain this. For the secret power of lawlessness is already at work, but the one who now holds it back will continue to do so till he is taken out of the way. This is the Apostle Paul. He's written a letter to the church. If you go in your Bible and you look that up, he's talking to them about what's called the gathering away. It's when God's people will be gathered together to him. And he's saying, hey, look, I just want y'all to be aware of something. You appreciate that lawlessness is going on on the earth. It's actually called the, the man of lawlessness in the word. And they were like, yep, we see that. And we see that still today. There's lawlessness at loose on the earth. But lawlessness doesn't overrun the earth. Something is keeping it at bay. It's not like it was in Noah's day. And we know that that he is the Holy Spirit. And it's saying, hey, there's coming a day though when he'll be removed and then this whole thing's gonna get ugly. And then there's gonna be a new heaven and a new earth. It's in the back of the book. It's a really cool story. You should go in there and read it. So how does that make us preservative? That's real simple. First Corinthians 6, 19, back up a few 
verses in the Bible. And it says, don't you know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit's presence here on this earth is in and through us. We are his temples. We are carriers of the Holy Spirit. There is a day coming when God will gather us together. The Holy Spirit's presence will no longer be here. And so then lawlessness will run wild. But until that day, we are being used by God through the power of the Holy Spirit in us to preserve this place. As long as we have a breath in our body and another day to get up, we can go and preserve humanity by being salt and light. And then last but not least, salt adds flavor. I had to work for this one. I will tell you that to find a scripture for this, it's easy to understand the context, but I went all the way to the book of Job. That freaks some people out. I'm a weirdo. I love the book of Job. I'd love to tell you why. I see hope, love, mercy, all sorts of things in the book of Job. But you want to talk about it? Come see me. Just not right now. I'm busy. Um, so Job 6.6 6 says, is tasteless food eaten without salt? Is tasteless food eaten without salt? They had a very bland diet. They weren't like us. You know, we can just grab a bottle of Tabasco or some Sriracha and pour it on our ribs and my gosh, or fajitas, whatever, and we're good to go. Their diet wasn't like that. Their diet wasn't like that. It was bland. It was the same thing day after day after day. So they would put salt on it to add flavor. Back to that guy I was just a few hours before I got saved at 19. My life was bland. It was the same thing. Day after day after miserable day. And I kept trying to take the spice and flavor of the world and pour it into my life to make it taste better. But no matter how much spice of the world I poured into it, it was never, ever enough. I couldn't get drunk enough. I couldn't get high enough. It always wore off and it always left me miserable. I think there's a lot of humanity that feels that same way around us. And they are just pouring copious amounts of the flavor of the world into their life, hoping, just hoping that it'll finally taste good. When what they really need is the flavor of heaven, the spice of heaven poured into their life. They need the salt of heaven because that desire, that hunger can only be satisfied by the flavor of heaven. And we're called to that. Does it get any more valuable than that? That we get to be the flavor of heaven here on this earth? But again, it's a choice. Only a disciple can be solved. And disciples make disciples. What does that look like? Uh, he's probably not watching today, it's safe to say, but I won't use his name. I have a neighbor. Uh, I went over not too long after they moved in, uh, I gave them one of our coffee cups for our man up men's ministry. And it's got a Bible verse on there. It's a cool, cool tumbler. And uh, when I gave it to him, he said, 
oh, bro, I don't drink coffee. And he goes, can I give it to my wife? I said, sure, it's, it's a dude's cup, but I don't care, man, go for it. So he goes and hands it to her. She comes outside, she looks at it, and she's reading it, and it doesn't take a whole lot of reading on it before you realize, oh, this is from a church. And she goes, oh. And I went, yeah, I know it's a dude's cup. And she goes, no, it's a church cup. I said, well, yeah, it's from our men's ministry at church, but I just want you to have it. She goes, we're atheists and you need to know that. And then she turns around, storms inside. Now he's sitting there working on his motorcycle, looking at me like, man, I don't know what to do now. (laughs) And so I went, here, let me help you with that. I've got some wrenches, let me go get them. And I sat there with him for the next hour and a half and worked on his motorcycle. Now I could have chosen to exit stage right. And I will tell you what I didn't do. I didn't then sit there and try to give him a three-point message on how he needed to accept Jesus as his savior. Instead, I helped him pull his gas tank off his motorcycle. And when he said, man, I don't know what's this going on. I'm not getting good fuel flow. And I went, oh yeah, you know what? There's a filter. It's a Honda. It's right up here in the bottom. Let's pull that thing out. I used the skill set that God has given me. And I just hung out with the dude. And then the other day when he gets home and he pulls up on his motorcycle, he goes, man, it's running great. And I go over and I talk to him again. And then he begins to tell me about his daughter and some things that are going on in her world. And I got to pour a little more salt on him. And I'm going to keep pouring salt until he finally glorifies my God for who he is. And we all have that opportunity, but it's a conscious decision. It's standing in line at Walmart, the one that's got 47 people in it. And you know the look. Everybody in the line's going. "Ah." I've been there, I've done it. But you have a decision to make when you get up there to the teller, who's brand new who has now had everybody on the planet tell her how worthless she is. And you can look at her and you can smile and go, hey, thank you for being here. I couldn't check out at all if you weren't here. And if you get me behind that register, man, it's gonna be like DEFCON 5. Probably the Air Force will show up. I don't know what I'm doing back there. So thank you, it's good, you're okay. And then when she hands you your receipt, you sprinkle a little salt and you go, man, Jesus loves you. And then you leave. The salt can only purify, preserve, and flavor if it's applied. You've got to apply it. Now, I just want to take a real brief, brief, because that's all I got left, a minute to talk about this last little bit of that scripture. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. Some of that seems real hard, real harsh. And, And I'm not saying that I understand it perfectly myself, but I'll tell you what I do see there. Uh, Number one, salt didn't come out of a salt shaker like we have it, it was a clump of minerals. And one of those minerals would be sodium chloride. And so it would look like this clump of mineral. And if there was, if there wasn't very much sodium chloride in it, salt, 
and it would get wet, then the flavor of that salt would be washed out and you'd have this clump left that looked like salt. It just didn't do anything that salt does. Well, they didn't need it for a paperweight, so they'd go and throw it out and people would trample on it out on the side, on, out on the walkways. They didn't have sidewalks. <laughs> Sorry. Um, here's kind of what I see in that. You have to choose to be salt. And if you're in that environment, in that workplace, in that hard job where the boss is a stinker and the coworker's an even bigger stinker, you have the opportunity and the decision, am I gonna be salt in this place? Am I gonna put aside all the belly aching? Am I not gonna grumble and complain? Instead, am I gonna focus on the fact that God has probably put me in this place because these people are miserable and they need Jesus. And then you won't feel trampled on like everybody else in that job. Because you'll realize every time you punch the clock, you just punch the clock to help somebody encounter heaven. And so you feel like a winner in that because that's who you are versus being trampled on like everybody else because you have the answer. That's just, that's Rob Bellamy on that. That's that's what we would call eisegesis, not exegesis. <laughs> hey, if the, if the team's ready to come back up, that'd be great. But all of this hinges on, on one thing. To be a disciple, first it said that the Jews believed. It said for the Jews that chose to believe. And that's where it all starts. It starts at salvation. You can't be a disciple until you become a Christian. And then you can walk out the life of a disciple after that. We hope that you enjoyed this message. You can find more messages and information about Tree of Life Church at treeoflifechurch.org. We'd like to invite you to come visit us at 5513 IH35 South in New Braunfels, Texas. Or you can watch us on live stream. Thank you again for listening.